0: all right hello everybody welcome to the drexel podcast uh we'll go through you know another good week i don't think there are any postponements or cl- cancellations so that's good we're on a nice streak hopefully we keep that going um but we have brian Mole with us uh here tonight uh, i'll let him introduce himself in a second but i did want to start out because um i don't think i've ever met you personally but it, it really cool to to be able to talk to you a little bit and, and learn from you um my background is of course from pennsylvania and in, in philadelphia um or originally from the Allentown area and then went to school at Drexel in Philly and lived there. But then I was in the Navy at Camp Lejeune. That's where I did my residency. And uh, the UNC Wilmington was like corner of my, my home away from home. We went to a lot of the games. And there's only, I was thinking about this, there's only three sports writers in my life that I've gone out of my way to read consistently. Um, one of them is Keith Grohler with the Allentown Morning Call, uh, the second one is David Jones with the Harrisburg Patriot News. And the third one is you. you know, I always tried to make sure I read your articles and things. Not that my opinion means that much, but um, but yeah, you know, I always read wrote your your write-ups on on the games we went to and we didn't go to. So it's really cool to have you on, but um interested to to hear about you and you and your you know, even what you're up to and everything like that. So um so yeah, if you want to tell us a little about about yourself and then we'll go from there.
1: Well, first of all, thanks for the very kind words. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, my name is Brian Mall. I'm a college basketball writer focusing primarily on the mid-major conferences in the eastern half of the country. Uh, contributed to a number of places through the years, through the last couple of decades. Uh, was the beat writer for UNC Wilmington for seven years um, and uh, primarily write for collegeinsider.com and helped them with a lot of various things behind the scenes that they do and, and also write some columns for them now and try to watch as many games as I possibly can. And just talk to coaches and stay abreast of what's going on.
2: And, I, I heard, go ahead. And,
0: um, I, I think there was a comment. Dan says I'm at your, your caddy now with golf. So tell us, tell us about that a little bit.
1: I do have a background. I caddied on the PGA Tour from uh, full-time from 1996 to 2002 and then uh, have sporadically gone out here and there since then, but um, I have two daughters at home that are keeping me pretty busy these days, so not very often. Um, I I have a friend who I've known since childhood who just turned 50 who's trying to get on the Champions Tour, so I've, I've caddied for him in a couple of qualifiers, but that's about the extent of it. At this point, um, and uh, you know, that possibility is always there, but uh, yeah, I, that's pretty much my writing background and my life have been to golf and college basketball, so I feel pretty fortunate.
0: I will, I will say that the golf end of things I didn't pay too close attention like, uh, Modern Rock 98 7 is still one of my favorite stations, and I would listen to it up here. And I think Saturday, Sunday mornings, they go to our golf coverage and Unfortunately, I move away, but um, but no, love love all your your basketball stuff, and so Dan, you're um, take it away there. Right? I mean, where do you want to, what direction you want to go? Go for it.
2: Man, I, I thought I was a Brian Mull fan, and then then Nate showed up a podcast. Um, no, Brian's got the uh, the fortune of of uh, helping get in print my my only application for a prof- professional job for uh, uh, in a college athletics department when I when I applied to be with a number of other Drexel fans who probably i the only people listening to this podcast. I appreciate it. Uh, but now for a number of uh, other Juxley fans, we applied for the UNC Wilmington AD position back in the day um, when they were going through some tougher times. And it's good to see, uh, I think, Brian, that um, well, the picture may not be the rosiest right now across the board, uh, and we'll talk about that, actually, I think the realignment discussion, particularly UNCW, is interesting right now. Um, it seems like they have some stability uh, a little bit down there. Um, yeah that about right?
1: you yeah, know that is that's a great point after um, years of turnover and controversy within the department a number of chancellors athletic directors of course men's basketball coaches uh only CAA school to, to dismiss two coaches midseason in the last decade which uh just is a reflection on how much the fan base and the folks care down here you know uh, it's been an interesting program over the last two decades they've basically either been in the cellar or near the cellar or been a championship level team. Uh, You know, they've won six championships since 2000, but uh, have had probably eight or nine years where they were, uh, you know, in the play-in game or the, or, or the, you know, the the early rounds of the CA tournament and and sent home. So uh, obviously a lot of excitement down here, uh, a fan base that uh, will support the team. It's the only game in town. And a great environment to watch college basketball, and we've seen that here in the last couple of weeks with them back home after, you know, on this on this winning streak.
2: You know, it's funny you say it because it, it resonates uh, with the Drexel fan who uh, watched Bruiser Flint for 15 years, <clears throat> always kind of get close but not get there, right? And it's very different, right? UNCW is kind of all or nothing. Um, and and because you know when it anything less than the championship was kind of nothing and it became nothing quick and and, and it was moved to the next guy moved to the next guy, you know brew was was stability and he was solid, Drexel never made the that dance, and and you know eventually uh, unfortunately those, those mid mid teen years here uh, this you know in twenty fifteen twenty sixteen just you know it, it went went south quick and at that point it was an easy call but a lot of discussion in the, in the fan base for Drexel in those years was you know do you want to be the team that's consistently there but you know the bridesmaid, but not the bride or, you know, or do you want to try for something better knowing that the risk is, is the opposite, and, you know? And, and I think, um, at the end of the day they held on for long enough that the decision was made for him and that, you know, it was going to take some digging out. And I think we're going to have some discussion about Zach Spiker after this weekend, um, you know, uh, and the game particularly on Saturday. Um, but he, he, he took over something that wasn't great. And, 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 you know, they got a ring. They, they, the flags are going to fly forever. So, um, it's it's an interesting, I think it's it's I think it's one of the better sports fan discussions and stories. And it's, you see two two franchises there, uh, two colleges there doing it entirely differently. Um, and, and Brian, I think um, you're correct in in that being the only game in town and having the passionate supporters that U N C W has um, is a big driving force of the difference. You know, Drexel's fan base, for what it is, uh, while loyal and diehards, you know, doesn't move the needle quite nearly as much as uh, as you see in, in Wilmington
1: yeah it's an interesting dynamic i mean uh the the students um have consistently supported them especially when they're winning, right? you know I mean they'll they'll they're pretty fired up about it on campus right now as they should be, but the the ticket holders, a lot of those folks didn't go to UNCw they uh just have moved here or retired here or live here and uh you know in lieu of being able to support their college wherever that may be. Uh, they have they have adopted the Seahawks and uh, you know supported it through ticket sales and donations and, and 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 all the things that you want. So it's it's kind of a, a neat dynamic and it really you know Siddle said it last night after the game and Kevin Keats said the same thing when he was here and Jerry Wainwright said the same thing two decades ago. It really is the city's team, um, and uh, you know it, it it's more enjoyable around here when they're doing well and uh it it helps lift the rest of that athletic department too which is also uh you know a key cog in you know the financial element of this not only are you looking at higher ticket revenues uh when they're winning but uh more people are willing to open up their checkbook and uh you know donate to something that they feel like is is on solid ground so uh it's the flagship uh i don't think there will ever be football here um although it gets discussed every once in a while. I think it will always be a basketball school. And um, I think it, it, it's really, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a unique
2: situation for sure. Yeah, there's two schools. Also, go ahead, Nick. Well, I was going to ask, because like, I
0: was down there. I got I got there in 2010 and then left in 2013. So I'm just looking. I left one year before Buzz Peterson got fired. And I guess I was in one of those like down periods. And what do you think, what would be one of the, is it coaching that made the difference between when they struggle versus when they're doing well, anything you can do to explain that a little bit?
1: I I think, uh, I mean, that's a great question. And it's something I've thought about a lot because I I think it's a, it's a unique place. I don't think that everybody can figure out the code, if you will. Uh, I think all of those coaches who came in for the most part, um, had ability, but you know timing is important. And uh, a couple of those were were you know younger coaches that were coming in. The league was kind of hopping with a lot of good veteran coaches, and it was just difficult for them to break through. Um, and Keats, uh, you know, Wainwright and Brownell figured it out years ago a certain way, and then Keats came in with a completely different model that worked. And obviously the the, the assistant Siddle, you know, there's the head coach now, it's kind of patterned his program after what worked when he was here as an assistant. So certainly the, the most important person in any program is the coach. And you know, you see it in mid major basketball all the time where a, a program is rolling along at the top of their conference for years, contending for NCAA tournaments, playing in NCAA tournaments, and then they make the wrong hire and all of a sudden they're they're completely forgotten. So it's it's fragile. Um, you know, the ones that have generally had success have been able to promote from within and just kind of keep the, keep things going. Um, that's ideally what you would hope for. You understand that your head coach, if you're successful, may get an offer from an ACC school that's going to pay them 10 times as much money or eight times as much money. There's no way you can compete with that. That's fine. That's good for your program, in my opinion, when they do move on to a job of that caliber, but you would hope that you have a obvious candidate in-house, um, to replace him with. And, uh, you know, a lot of people felt that Siddle should have gotten the job when Keats left uh, after the 2017 season. But, you know, the AD, for whatever reason, just didn't feel like he was ready at the time and he needed a little more seasoning. So he went with Kevin to NC state and then, uh, you know, the, the, it opened back up and he was kind of the obvious choice. And right now it looks like it was a, that was the right decision.
2: Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that for a second. Uh, we were saying before the call that nobody's seen exactly what was coming here with, with UNCW. I mean, I, I was, uh, you know, not a believer until we saw them go up to Towson, right. And do it on the road. And now Hofstra at home. Those are to me, the probably the two big heavyweights in the league right now. Um, with, I tell aware, and I want to say Drexel behind them, although they make me look like a fool every once in a while. Uh, but now, now they're clearly in the discussion. Um, so I was going to ask you to kind of rate or bucket, you know you know the, the 10 teams in the league but let's just start with you know is is do you now feel that Wilmington is a powerhouse in this league right now yeah i How think the team to i
1: think they're in this race until the end at this point now whether that means they end up in first uh they they have a lot of challenges ahead especially if you look at the end of the season they finish with the Delaware Drexel trip and uh you know they still have to go to Hofstra so i mean they're going to have some they're going to have some games and everybody's seen them now too. So uh, there'll be some, you know, there's a lot of good coaches in this league. There will be some adjustments made. Um, but I feel like they've got three really strong ball handling playmaking guards. And if you look back through the history of this conference over the last two decades, that's generally a thread among all the championship teams. Yeah. It's great to have a big man as well, but if you've got three guys on the perimeter who can make a play and force the defense to, you know, react and, and respect their ability to make a shot or get to the basket you put a lot of pressure on the defense and then i think when you when you add into that the fact they don't turn the ball over and they force turnovers so they're creating extra possessions that way and for a smaller team albeit very athletic they offensive rebound at a high, high rate as well so they're they're getting some opportunities around the basket and that's a good formula i mean that's a good formula for basketball at any level um, if you're if you're taking more shots than the opponent, uh, I like your chances, you know, night after night. And that's something they've been able to do is, is just get more looks at the basket. So I think uh, obviously playing with a lot of confidence, this winning streak is going to come to an end at some point. And they've been very fortunate in a lot of these games. You just wonder if you can keep building, digging these, you know, double deficit, double digit deficits and climb out of them. But uh, I, I think they're playing with a tremendous amount of confidence which is ultimately probably the most important thing any team can have.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think tomorrow's game sets up beautifully. You've got them coming off of a big win at home and obviously running the streak, and Drexel's coming off of a, a real tough loss, short rest on the road, the whole thing, and, and it's, it's I think those teams are going to match up really nicely. I think it's it's going to be a nice Monday night game to have uh, in front of us. It's kind of a cool cool treat to have it as a rescheduled game, uh, as much of a, a challenge as it creates for Drexel's four, four straight road games here in a, in a short nick of time looking forward to that one so who else I guess do you have at the top then
1: yeah I I agree with you um I felt like uh Towson was the team to beat coming into the conference I just thought uh they had shown by playing uh, a variety of styles different types of teams winning on the road uh You know, I really liked the way their team was coming together. They've not really been full strength in conference play or really even in the non-conference, um, very often, you know, they've been down, you know, whether it was Gibson missed a game or two and then, and, uh, you know, Terry Nolan's kind of been in and out of the lineups uh, and Cam Holden fractured his jaw has been playing with that mask, you know, so, uh, I don't know that we've necessarily seen their best in conference, but I think they're built to last Charles Thompson's coming on and, and really emerging as one of the more consistent, tougher big guys. I thought he was, uh, I mean, he was elite in the second half in particular, that game against Drexel, just, um, his scoring around the basket and, and just physicality, you know, was, was really a difference maker in that game. And, uh, Hofstra is right there as well. I mean, uh, th- it, it's been a little odd with them too. I mean, Cooks missed some games. Uh, Jalen Ray has not really been the Jalen Ray that we all know and are used to. Uh, they've uh, they've had a little bit of issue in the front court, but I think they're healthier there. Uh, Kramer got into the game last night for a few minutes, so I think they're healthier there than they've been in sometimes. and I don't see them fading. So I, I think those three are definitely in, and then maybe there's a slight drop down to Delaware and Drexel. Uh, I like both of those teams. They can both look really, really good when the shots are falling, but they're both a little bit make or miss teams, if you will. You know, when they're, when they're making shots, they look really good, but when they go through a stretch where they're not, their defense and maybe the other little things that you can do on the offensive end to create points aren't necessarily there. And I, that always troubles me with the team because especially as you get into projecting ahead to a conference tournament, you're not going to make shots very often three nights in a row. I mean, it can happen, but um, there's going to be one of those nights in there generally where you're going to have to fight through in other ways, especially in a league that I still think is extremely balanced. I felt like it was extremely balanced going into the season. And uh, I felt like Towson and UNCW were the two hardest teams to predict in the preseason in a league where it had never been more difficult to predict because they had so many new faces and uh, you just didn't know how it was all gonna come together in either either situation. So, um, you know, JMU has been a disappointment. Of course, them losing Molson for the rest of the season is uh, is just a terrible blow for them and, the, and their defense has been not good whatsoever in the conference. I think Charleston has a lot of upside. Um, maybe I thought they were gonna be a little bit better with their pace, uh, it's it's exciting and it's fun. But when it gets into conference play, it comes down to execution and possession by possession efficiency. And, and their youth has shown a little bit there. And then, you know, when you look at some of the teams at the bottom, I mean, arguably two of the better coaches in the league are down towards a, at the very bottom, and Mike Schrage and, uh, and Bill Cullen. And I think in both cases there, you just have rosters that just don't fit together for whatever reason i mean northeastern doesn't have a point guard on the roster and it's a very difficult game to play without that somebody that's at least serviceable at that position and elon just for whatever reason um i think they have some nice pieces but I, i i just don't think the mix is quite right yet at the same time you know they're going to spoil some spoil some games for the contenders coming down the stretch i mean at home those aren't going to be fun places to play necessarily
2: yeah, I'm glad you said that about Shragi because I, th- I thought I was leading the bandwagon there for him for a long time now, and I feel keep feeling knocked down, but I'm, I'm happy to see other people continue to believe. Uh, I still think he's got Elon kind of moving in a, in a good way. Uh, team always seems to be young every year. I feel like they got a young team, but they have a young team, and I, I do think that uh, you know there's a program that's moving in the right direction.
1: Yeah, I think Michael Graham's terrific. Uh, he's had some moments, but I think you know you look at him as a second-year player. I mean, if they can hang on to him throughout his career, I mean, you're looking at a, a dominant type big guy in the CAA uh, on both ends of the court.
2: I guess the only team we haven't covered, unless I'm missing somebody, somebody shout at me, but William and Mary, who I, I get why why we haven't touched on because they're they're like, I don't know, it's it's a 500 team ish that. It's not at all, like, inspiring. Nobody's thinking they're a threatened for the top. But also, we thought was going to be, like, oh, and 18 So, is it, is it one of the more – if it wasn't for UNCW, is this one of the big surprises of the conference?
0: It's funny. I'll tell you. I was just about to ask about that, man. Everybody likes – just like everybody likes to pile on flow sports. Everybody piles on their head coach. But I watched the game the other night against Charleston. I'm like, it carried over what happened to us. So, yeah, I, what, do you, what do you think about that team?
1: I, I, I have uh... – eating my words a little bit about William and Mary. Uh, I was not uh, impressed. I watched quite a few of their non-conference games and I just didn't see it. You know, I didn't see the growth. And then to their credit, you know, he stuck with those young guys and whatever he was doing behind the scenes clicked uh, right before conference play, which is what you would want. And they have been a different team. They've been a much better team. They still have some flaws. They still make some youthful mistakes, but they're big. You know, they've got some nice, three big guys, you know, in the front court and their guards have have started to, uh, step up and make some plays. And, uh, you know, I think they're another team that, um, again, I don't think they're going to win the conference tournament or, uh, you know, challenge for the regular season title, but, uh, I can certainly see them winning three or four more conference games, which, which, they were the unanimous number 10. I mean, they were the only easy pick in the preseason as far as one through nine was a nightmare. Like I spent, uh, I shuffled my order time after time and uh, they, they just seemed the clear choice for 10th, but uh, you know, Fisher's brought in some nice talent in those, in the freshman and sophomore classes. And uh, I think if he, again, that's a group, if he can keep it together, which Wayman Mary's traditionally been able to do that, that uh, they could be a force to be reckoned with down the
2: road. So I want you to disagree with this statement. I've been following this league since 2001. Um, this is, for me, top to bottom, the best group of coaches that I think I remember this league having. I don't know that there's any of them that you'd really sell on, right?
1: That's a bold statement. I can't disagree with it. I think of the, the era when when it was Larenaga, Shaver – Uh, you know, Anthony Grant, Blaine Taylor. I mean, the there weren't many off nights then either, Uh, but the league's changed a little bit since then. Not quite as many top 100 caliber teams as we used, you know, like there used to be. Uh, But yeah, top to bottom, I think everybody's got their own style. Uh, Pat Kelsey has been a terrific addition to the conference down at Charleston, uh, you know, replacing a good coach in Earl Grant. And yeah, there's not really a team you could look at. Um, I I was a little interested to see how speedy would do in his first year, because you just always wonder about any first year head coach, but I think he's done a great job. He's going to be a terrific recruiter. Certainly, uh, you know, he can sell what guys want to hear. He played at the highest level and that's what the guy coming into college wants to hear that he can help him get there. And, yeah, I would agree. I mean, it, it, it is there aren't any weak spots, that's for sure. Um, I think, to your point, maybe it was stronger at the top at one time, but um, top to bottom maybe as good as it's ever been.
2: Yeah, I'd it's say it's, it's, a, it's a great sign for, for where the conference is moving. Smart hires take you a long way. We just talked about the difference in what a head coach means at, at Wilmington, but it's across the board. And um, Yeah, I mean, we do wish Tony Shaver maybe was still around, but Dane, Dane Fisher is accrediting himself. So, you know, you got to give him his own opportunity um, in, in what is a really challenging place to coach. So right. uh, credit, credit, credit to him for getting them where they've been. So I guess on, uh, you know, our favorite topic around here these days, everybody's favorite topic, which is who's going to land where, when. I, I don't think we're going to, we did a full podcast maybe a week and a half ago on kind of the CA's total plans and and the idea of, of moving towards 16 teams and and maybe Olympic sports divisions and this, that setting yourself up for some kind of division one split, even potentially, you know, at some point. Um, And I think that's all relevant um, and and, and in the picture. So the Southern flank though has had some developments this week and we had Mike Brodsky talking about, about that one. And he, him and I are both pretty, 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 uh, we have our ears to the ground up here a little bit, but maybe a little bit weaker in the South. So leaning on you a little bit, um, the the big news of the week here, um, it sounds like the Patriot League is is buttoning up. They're happy with where they're at. Um, I don't I don't think that it really mattered. I don't know that either the two schools discussed is going that potentially go in that direction, which is William and Mary and, and Northeastern really had any, ever had any desire to go that way. Um, but even if they did, it sounds like that door is, is maybe more shut than we, we expected. But then the the larger one is um, College of Charleston, which is one of the ones the schools that you know. Maybe has aspirations, right? They're they're going to be basketball centric, and they know what they are. They know what their flagship is. They have a brand. They're trying to grow it. Um, their athletic director comes out in the paper uh, and says, you know, this is the CA. This is our plan. We're part of this plan, and and this is how we as a league are going to look to grow. So it sounds like you know they're in. they you know that's a statement that says we're in. We're at least in for a f- for for a few more years anyway, right? Which is all anybody <laughs> right. can can stipulate to. So if they're in, if the if the William Mary to the Patriots stop. Can put on the put on the back burner. I actually think Elon loves a league. Uh, you tell me if I'm wrong, but loves a league that is northeast exposure, but you can play your Olympic sports only in the south. I think that's exactly what they want. Um, so I, I feel like the the southern end of the CA is maybe a little more entrenched than we thought it was, especially now that they've added Hampton. I would agree. I don't know where what good options
1: any of them have. To be honest with you. Uh, quite frankly I, I don't foresee Elon uh, wanting to leave and go back to the Southern conference uh, that doesn't really make sense um, for all the reasons that you mentioned uh, they do kind of dislike being the southernmost football playing member you know but that's just something that um, you yeah, know they'll have to make some trips to Virginia um, for for that sport uh, Wilmington is an interesting spot Uh the, the Big South has just not ever been an appealing option to, they like the, the academic association of being in the colonial as they've, they've grown their uh, academic standards uh, pretty rapidly in the last decade, especially in the, I mean, just each decade, it's still a pretty young school. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of the m- more difficult schools to gain admission in the univers- UNC system now, which is 17 or 18 universities. Uh, it's a popular place. There's, it's expanding, and uh, undergraduate enrollment has almost doubled. And they enjoy being associated with the Northeasterns and Drexels and Hofsters of the world on the academic stage. Uh, so I think that the Southern ADs and maybe presidents as, as well have kind of taken upon themselves to, okay, this is where we are. We this is our house. How can we? We're not looking to buy a new house. How can we make this house better? You know, how can we expand on it? And who do we who do we try to attract that fits our profile? And I think they started with Furman and Wofford, which were obvious, you know, candidates, both really solid basketball members and uh, would fit. But I think with the Southern Conference doubling its uh, exit fee, I think (laughs) to two million dollars, I think that kind of reflects directly on those conversations. And and I don't know, again, why those teams would necessarily those schools would want to leave. The Southern Conference. So then you have to start looking a little broader and uh, maybe a North Carolina A&T, uh, who recently went from the MEAC to the Big South. Um, maybe Howard, uh, which you know isn't quite as far south maybe as they would like. But um, again, uh, I know that High Point has some interest. Uh, I don't know if that interest is reciprocated. In any in any fashion, but uh, those would all. I think they would love to grab two two more. And uh, to me, uh, North Carolina A and T and Howard probably make the most sense if if there's interest on their side as well.
2: Yeah, obviously that the Howard interest is something we, we, we spoke about, and I think it's uh, it would be a great ad for the CAA. It's it's a, it's a prestigious school, and um, it's just a matter of if they want to come, right? And uh, the school you didn't touch on was Campbell. Um, from from I mean that's the other one I think that's out there so a bit of a wild card uh, I I don't know what their level of interest is or the CA's level of interest but at some point it's going to come down to I agree with you I think they want to add two teams from the south you will get our proper divisions I, I think they're going to be they're going to be able to find another one in the north it won't be hard it'll be Albany it'll be Quinnipiac I think um, I I'm 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 a Quinnipiac fan in that particular regard but it sounds you know we'll see how things go up there but either one of those may happen um, but I think the only add one if you want to look and add two for the south for the southern you know for the southern teams at some point it's going to come down to being pragmatic right you get to build your own conference to a point but if you decide we need two, you got to find a second one you know right. who, who, who matches up with you and that's going to be i think everybody's now kind of nailed down a and t as it seems like they would be interested it seems like the ca would have interest that makes sense but who that other school is you know if you can't move howard um gets gets challenging
1: i mean Campbell, a couple hours up the road they've played uh i think wilmington's played them more than any other school in basketball i mean they've both been playing since the pre-division one days uh back in the in the 60s and early 70s um they have a solid basketball program they have a nice arena that's less than 10 years old they have football uh they have a nice little football stadium as well. I mean, they've invested some money into their facilities as well. It's about an hour from Raleigh. It's a pretty—it's not the easiest place in the world to 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 get to, you know, for travel purposes. I think the folks at Campbell enjoy being in a bus league, you know, the Big South, which has now gone to divisions in basketball to even make travel better. Um, you know, they they like that aspect of it. So I don't know that they would have the interest in driving to raleigh and hopping on airplanes you know quite as much or the financial um means to do so uh they they would be a solid addition i don't know that they would be at the top of my list necessarily but if you needed a second school um i I think they they would do just fine Uh, and and, and bring a little bit to the table as well
2: that's a very polite way of calling that a bad idea um (laughs) I appreciate it. Um, well, I, I don't. Go ahead.
0: Eddie. It's interesting. To, yeah, uh, you know, because sometimes I said, like, how does even, um, you know, how do, how does, uh, Wilmington fit in with the league? So you're saying, even from that academic perspective, which I, I guess, I don't always think about too. And I think it come up. You got to think of everything, not just the sports, but the academic end of things. So you're saying they really like that idea of being associated with the Northeast schools and everything like that.
1: I think so. I mean, I think it's something that um, has evolved. I don't think it was always the case. I think there were times when, uh, you know, they looked back longingly on the days when the CAA was just them and a bunch of schools from Virginia and were like, man, we wish we could go back to that. But I think any realistic person realizes that the days mm-hmm. of tight geographic regional conferences are gone and at this point you have to look at what's best for you and for the whole university because ultimately the decision is not coming from the athletic department you know it's coming from the top and they have to be completely invested and on board with it as well and you know the CAA is an opportunity now where it should be thinking about trying to compete with the A ten and quit worrying about the fact that VCU and George Mason and Old Dominion left. I kind of feel like we've been in that, you know, for five or six years. Well, we're never going you know, the league's never going to be what it was because they left and they were all top one hundred programs pretty consistently. Well, okay, well, they're gone. They've been gone. And now is an opportunity for the CAA to to grow it, you know, itself, especially basketball, which is its primary sport that people, people know the CAA is a basketball conference and uh, do, do things to invest as much as possible to, uh, to, to maybe become a rival to the A-10 in some way or, or or a potential multi-bid league again, because, you know, Dan remembers we used to have those conversations every year and it wasn't, uh, it was very realistic. And, uh, Drexel came up on the short end of one of those situations one year and, uh, Hofstra came up on the short end of one of those situations one year, but, but other schools uh, benefited, you know, by getting in as, as an at-large and, and then, uh, you know, what George Mason and VCU did certainly is historical, um, so I, I just think uh, it, it's a it, the CA is at an interesting point where it needs to think big and uh, and try to try to become as strong as it can on the basketball court.
2: I think you raise uh, well. First point point of uh, order, Juxo came up short twice, twice in those regards, not just once. True, but yeah. uh, I think it's a great point, and I think they're trying to have their cake and eat it too a little bit here. We're going to make a an East Coast multimedia market basketball league with a bus league for all the other sports, you know, besides football, which is its own kind of entity. Um, and that's, it's a great way to keep costs down, keep your exposure up. Uh, and at the same time we have this kind of people have been hiring smartly. Um, we see, we see some money being invested. A lot of these schools because they're in cities are not going to get the facilities investments that maybe you'd like to see, uh, but they're, they're putting their money where their mouth is, whether it's be, you know, coaching staff or local exposure, getting on the TV, everything else. So you're seeing some spend, um, you're right. The, the, the overarching thing for me is how is it that there's nobody in the top 100 in this conference right now? It hasn't been for years, it feels like. You know, it, it, it needs to be better. The, the overall uh, f- product on the floor needs to be better. And that will get you, that will buy you some exposure. Yeah. But it feels like they're, you know, in a position to do that now.
1: They, they have to make some bold choices and uh, not to get too deep in the weeds. But I I, I was having this conversation with the Somebody in the industry recently, and uh, they need to pay their officials more. Uh, I was looking just uh, just before I came on, I did a quick scan. Uh, Ken Pomeroy has a very, uh, what he would describe as primitive ref ratings on his website, and it, it's impossible to rate refs, but his theory is the best refs, the supervisors of each conference's officials know who the best officials are, so they put them on the best games. So he basically has created a point system based around that and how often a guy works. And so he's rated the top 200 officials. Now, again, how can you rate the top? You know, if you you ask 20 different people to rate the top 10 officials, you would get 20 different lists. But last night, for example, uh, I didn't see a single top 150 official on a Saturday night when there's 130 games, a single top 150 official working a CAA game. Uh, It was generally one guy in the 151 to 200 range and then two guys not even in the top 200. Then you go look over at like the A-10, which had a big game yesterday, VCU and Richmond. They've got three top 150 guys on that crew, which tells me they're more experienced. They're a little more seasoned. um, And the reason they're getting better officials because they have the same supervisor is because they get paid more. The A-10's paying their officials more. You know, these guys are independent contractors and the supervisors are going to take care of the top, you know, the leagues that higher on the package. So that's the decision that they're going to have to make. And uh, it's an investment from each university and the conference as a whole. But we've all seen these debacles on the court with, the with, you know, I'm, I'm the biggest official fan in the world. Like, I understand those guys have a hard job and like, I'm the last guy to crush them, but... You know, UNCW Hofstra play a huge game last night and um, it, it kind of got marred in the second half by the, the crew, an inexperienced crew, not being able to handle an environment like that with 4,000 people and two pretty physical teams going at it. And I think that's just one way where you can kind of put a, a brighter face on your conference night in and night out or, or quit playing on Saturdays altogether, which is a different conversation. But um, that, that would be another way to solve that problem.
2: Right, because it, it, it's funny you, you touched on it. I was going to say, you know, the A-10 plays on Sundays, and it's cool because I, I, I'm i a father of a young child as well. And I have a ton of extra time at the house, but if I flip on a TV on a Sunday and I, I caught VCU, you know, it was supposed to be on a noon today, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and they're going to be out there. They're going to be out there with a good TV, you know, exposure because nobody else is playing, with good referees because nobody else is playing. They kind of jumped ahead and took that, took that line before the CA got there, and it was smart, and they profited from it, I think. Um, but you can see the difference between Thursdays and Saturday. We've been saying this for years, uh, you know, but Thursday, Drexel got in, uh, in, in James Madison. And I made this joke on Twitter. Cause I don't know how these three guys, you know, uh, upset Brian Kersey enough to be sent to Harrisonburg <laughs> on a Thursday night, but they had Mike Roberts, Brian O'Connell and TV Teddy Yeah. on a Thursday night in, in, in Harrisonburg, which is like, I, again, I can't believe those three guys showed up there. Yeah. Um, but, but they, but they were there, they were working it. And we had a really well officiated game is what we had. Um, you know, and and we've had Brian Conal three times this season now, which I feel fortunate about. And but you, you always you know, you know who the good ones are, and you know the guys. You know, we, we showed up Saturday, and I looked at fifteen minutes before the thousand game. I looked at the stats, and I said, "Oh no," <laughs> you know. And 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 that's uh, Nathan Hall's back. You know, um, but yeah, it's it's something we've talked about forever, forever in this conference. And yeah, whether it's I feel like they don't want to move to Sunday because the perception of doing what the attends doing you know, or or whatever the case might be. But I don't know that Thursday, Saturday, I guess for for travel, maybe it's ideal. They're going to have to figure something out that, you know. Coaches would love
1: uh, Thursday, Sunday because, you know, coaches love prep time, and that would give them an extra day, you know, to prep for that back-end opponent because sometimes they feel like if there's some travel, you know, significant travel, and then maybe you run into some problems like can happen in the winter and you just really get very little on-court prep for that second game. So, I think most of the coaches would be in favor of that. Now, I know that Sunday has traditionally been the women's day in, in the CAA too, so um, I don't know if uh, if that would cause a problem. Um, they would have to maybe reconfigure. But those are just things that – these are the kind of discussions that they should – we can have them all day, and it's great, but these are the discussions that need to be held in the office and uh, at the meetings um, just tr- to try to grow the basketball product going forward. Well,
2: so uh, as the, play them as agree. doubleheaders on Sunday and save some money. Uh, that's how you sell it right i mean but go ahead go ahead eric Eric,
3: you've got an extra hotel night in there too so you have to consider that in your travel costs and then you have to find a place to play uh practice you have to find another gym for that extra day
1: yeah that's a good point
3: well you gotta
2: decide if you're gonna come home after thursday or if you're if you're gonna stay on the road both
0: yeah and 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 i would say all uh, one one team breaking out of the pack here and i don't know maybe unc wilmington's that team we'll see what happens but i mean so far so good as far as they go so um, but I, we want to keep you all night, so I guess um, um, Dan, you want to say any any last questions or anything you got?
2: I, I had a follow up on that last one. I, I did, which is what in your opinion, Brian because we, we have talked about this um, till we're blue in the face a little bit, but what is the effect of having weaker referees is that is that damage the league competitively in one way or the other? I'm assuming that, that, that you're worried about you know um, inconsistent, victories essentially and, and 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 playoff resumes but what, what really where, where is your concern buried there
1: yeah i mean as far as good calls and bad calls that probably all works itself out you know in the end and the better teams probably prevail i just think that the quality of the product that you're putting on the court for the fans for the coaches and for the players um you know nobody comes to watch the Four fouls on all the starters, you know, and I think better, stronger officials understand how to let teams play, especially top level teams in in whatever league they're working. They understand the magnitude of the game. They don't get affected as much by the uh, the environment necessarily, and they they allow the game to to be played with with uh, with the flow without having to call every foul. Whereas I think younger officials. They feel like they have to call it by the letter of the law and by the book a little bit. When you The problem is when you do that um, and don't give the players a little bit of leeway, you end up with uh, a lot of stops and starts, and then maybe the game gets a little heated. So I, I just think it affects the overall product. I don't think anybody's ever bought a ticket to watch free throws or to watch the best players sit on the bench.
3: I think no calls are underrated. We just don't see enough of them in, in any at any level.
1: 100%. Like uh, – The block charge thing, I mean, we could talk about that for hours, but, um, you know, it's uh, we're rewarding a guy for jumping in front of a guy who's making a basketball play a lot of times and uh, sending the ball the other way. uh, Yeah, just understanding uh, when when Kersey was working games, uh, he was the best at uh, communicating with the players, in particular the the post guys, if he was along the baseline, of like kind of letting them know, where the, where the line was and when they were about to cross it and then, uh, feeling, you know, communicating. And I think that's what the best officials do. You know, they're not, uh, there to simply enforce the rules, but they're there to make the game better and, uh, uh, you know, let the players understand. And, you know, that's the players and coaches job to react to how the game's going to be called each night. Some, some are a little looser, some are a little tighter, but, um, I just think that consistency across the board, it just, uh, it leaves everybody walking away from the arena win or lose feeling like the players determine the game and not, not the people with the whistles.
2: All right. Hey, Brian, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate the time. Uh, it is, it is unfortunate. I know uh, every time I, I see you, I talk to you, I think about Mookie Betts and I, I send, I send my best to him <laughs> and your, uh, your friends in Los Angeles. Um, but we, no, thank you. You're glad to have him. A, have a great night. Yeah. <laughs>
1: thanks. Thanks guys. Enjoyed it. Y'all have a good one. Thank, thank for you.
0: All right, we're back. I uh, appreciate Brian Mole coming on. Um, I know my big takeaway there, I am I sometimes, I don't to say a bad mouth, the Southern schools like UNC Wilmington, but sometimes um, I don't know how well they fit, but putting a yeah, face to the name was really helpful. Seeing him and talk to him and get that perspective of how much, you know, their school appreciates having, you know, the Northern schools in there was helpful for me. So, and very knowledgeable, great guest, Dan. Thanks for setting that up and we will have him. And it occurred to me, hey, we play him tomorrow night. So that's perfect. So um yeah you know, i didn't realize that right away but it's yeah that's
2: where i was supposed to leave us with that we were supposed to talk about that game <laughs> a little bit more but we, we we were having so much fun talking about everything else that we, we ran long on that section and i'm you know i appreciate brian for coming on he's he's a great guy and, and what we were just saying offline very knowledgeable yeah. inside and outside of the game and it's just it's a pleasure to have him
0: yeah, and bringing again putting a face to the name around the conference so i think that's helpful for everybody so all right, so um, we're going to start by talking about the uh, men's team. Uh, so the, the happier news of the week was our win got at James Madison on Thursday night, Drexel won 88-82. Um, so um, what were some overall takeaways that you guys had from the game there on Thursday?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, the loss of Molson was big for, for, for JMU. The game kind of turned, I felt like, right around then. They was playing a little more even. But for me, two takeaways. One – yeah, we, we can be pretty good at times. Actually, three takeaways. We can be pretty good at times. And two, JMU does not look good. They, they really don't look like they're adding up to expectations right now. They've had some injuries. I'll note uh, But that Mark Byneton said in the postgame that his personnel doesn't maybe doesn't match up with his defensive alignments right now. He's, he's still figuring out. He's still tinkering, tinkering with his defense, which, by the way, uh, did not get fixed before this Delaware game yesterday. But... That, that, to me, is, is the – I t- told you guys on the last piece that Brian called my Campbell idea, dumb as politely as you can. That is as politely as you will hear a coach call his own players not good at defense. I mean, like, you know, we don't have the personnel to support my defense. He's, tell, he's, he's calling out his players. He's doing it in a polite way, and maybe he's thinking his kids won't understand what he's doing, but he's calling out his players hard. And I think that's um, – that's an intriguing for a team that's struggling right now to have a coach go into the media and say something, but he's got, his kids can't play a system. I think that's um, it's bold. Um, I think Mark Bynington is a, is a winner, winner, take all guy. I think he, he wants to win at all costs. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that. And I, I'm wondering how, how that team's going to respond. Obviously did not respond well against Delaware yesterday. Um, the third piece of it is, and this is the more Drexel centric piece, I really and it's funny because of what happened on Saturday, but I really like what Zach Spiker did in that game. You know, the only way Jamie was going to win that game, especially after most went out, was going to be turning the turning the Dragons over. He's got some aggressive guys on the team. We talk about the team not being aggressive enough, and we say when when they're not being aggressive, you put in Xavier Bell, you put in Lamar Odin, right? You you kind of you kind of let your you guys go out there and run and, and throw some elbows. He did the opposite here, right? He retreated. He put in Matej Juric. And, and um, you know, Cam Winter and, and and let the guards, you know, the, the kind of the Sassamore JB, obviously he was coming back. It was big, but went with a, a bit of a more um, less aggressive approach, we'll call it, which is what you want when the only way they're going to beat you is by turning you over. Mm-hmm. You put a bunch of ball handlers on the floor. It was successful. And, and they kind of closed out that game. So I thought it was smartly done. Obviously, he did the same thing against Towson, which I thought was kind of crazy. Um, but we'll, we'll get there. But I thought it was it was one of the coaching staff's better games I've seen, just personally. I thought I thought they did an exceptional job in that game.
0: Yeah, Eric. Eric, what did you think?
3: James Madison game.
0: Yeah,
3: yeah. The James Madison game. I think it, you know, we just just reiterate what uh, Brian said earlier. It was live and die by the three, and they lived that night. Drexel went. Uh, I think they had tw- – 11 of their 12, their threes in the first half, I believe. The second half, they didn't keep as much. I think it was 50% for the game. So that little throw back to the CAA tournament. Shot 55% for the game. Uh, you know, that was 88 points. A lot of points. I think it's, I know, that might be their high high mark for the year for, for points per game. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they had it going that night. Uh, Williams, 12, 21 points, 12 boards. Had a breakout night. It's fantastic. You got uh, four of the five guys in double figures. Bleak Martin at eight points. He's almost there, too, so it's just a really nice balanced attack.
0: Yeah, I, I guess, I, I guess, and, and looking back, it was like, and now that you're, you know, we're talking about how bad the James Madison defense was, like, on, on one hand, it was like the first half it was like our three-point game was what we really focused, and then the second half is when we kind of went inside, and I guess what I, what I was trying to think about, were we taking what they gave them? Did they adjust, or it was kind of like, oh, we just felt like we're going inside, but I mean, yeah, Amari had a huge second half. He had like 16 points. So, um, you yeah, know, I don't know how much of that was, you know, us enforcing our will or we just could do whatever we wanted against them when it came down
2: to it. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I think, uh, Eric, your point is, is true. Uh, the first half, you know, the three point shooting was huge. And and obviously, you know, JMU was hot too. And, and that was a three point game at halftime, even though Drexel was hitting everything under the sun. Mm-hmm. And part of that was because Drexel brutally flubbed up their execution in the final minute. Gave, gave them back about six points, but the second half they go out, they only hit one three. Really took five,
0: too, in the second half. So it's a totally yeah. So either
2: Perth. JMU really expanded out, or to Nate's point, you know, we, we decided to adjust. Um, but it was good. I thought that was the argument against Brian's argument and our argument that they live by three, die by three, because they were able to prove, you know, they scored more points in the second half than they did on the first. That's tough to do, you know, 11 threes and a half and outscore that half in the second part. Hey, yeah, JMU was. Clearly limited defensively, but it was good to see us be able to do uh, different things in different ways and be successful almost across the board. Um, so that, that was it was a good it was a good game for them. I thought across the board, players had to be happy with the execution, coaches had to be happy with the game plan and, and how it worked out. Like I say, there were some blips at uh, last minute of the first half in particular, but by and large, pretty solid game. <laughs>
0: You mentioned too, Bell. He had five turnovers, and you know, so yeah, I, I worry a little bit about what's going on there. And some of that, I guess, our sophomore is a little uneven. You know, they'll have a really solid. Like I'm thinking back to his game at Hofstra, where he was unbelievable, and ever since then, I feel like he just hasn't been able to even come close to that. I'm not sure what's going on there.
3: He likes to really take it to the take it to the hoop. You know, it's it's, it's pretty aggressive like that. It's probably one of the only guys who does that, and it uh, just finds like it loses the handle handle on the way in. Mm-hmm. The leverage turnovers are versus you know unforced errors.
0: And I guess the thing it's like, and I'm not looking at it close enough. Our team's adjusting to that. Maybe like throw it a defender in the paint because yeah, I, I feel like he gets to a certain point now and then he's he he's, he does kind of like a jump stop in the lane and then he doesn't really know what to do and that's where he's throwing the ball away. So maybe teams are adjusting to him. I, we and we backed him down really well against Hofstra too. And maybe again that was just a miss a, a matchup we saw that we could use. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, he hurt us a little bit, and and but and like it's 15 turnovers as a team, but um, we seemed to tighten up when we needed to, um, and uh, it's still a nice road win overall. I felt good about things afterwards. So, um, all right, anything else you guys want to point out from that game that jumped out for you?
2: No, the devil of the media. Nobody wants to talk about wins. Yeah, <laughs> let's yeah let's it, talk about. And yeah. do want to highlight?
0: Yeah, I mean, Amari Williams had a monster second half. I mean, it was incredible. So. Um, But, um, but yeah, so um, let's go to yesterday. Uh, So uh, Drexel loses at Towson uh, 66-62, a game that we had a 14-point lead with our largest lead right before half, uh, and then it all went away. So um, let's talk about that one. What did you guys think about yesterday?
3: Yeah, so it looked like uh, Towson made some nice adjustments at halftime. You know, Drexel pretty much had their way in the first half, 2000 was still very cold, like the first 1000 matchup in three. They only went 211 for the game. They don't have much bat- backcourt play. Uh, very interesting, but they played tenacious defense. They turned up the t- defense strongly in the second half. Uh, expanded the 3D. Drexel so Drexel didn't seem to shoot the three as much. Went underneath and had a lot of good looks underneath, but just couldn't finish around the rim. Very frustrating. Seeing Amari Williams, uh, he went 5 for 13 from the field. And they're all they're, all, they're all bunnies, and uh, you missed some some real some really easy ones. But there was a lot of pressure, I will say. So uh, I give a lot of kudos to to Tows in that game. They they all turned it up. Because they do it all with defense. They're not a pretty team. They never are, uh, but it worked for them that night.
0: And look at it. I was thinking about Amari because you're right. Yeah, he, he missed some shots. He like could be missed, but I mean Thompson. I, and I didn't realize this. He was seven of seven in the second half. Yeah, and right. then he was 11 of 14 for the game. So I mean, you wonder how much the defense was affecting the offense and and vice versa. But um, but yeah, now they just they they knew what, what they wanted to in the second half and jammed it down our throats pretty much. So um, Dan, what do you think about uh, the game yesterday?
2: Yeah, I mean Towson's they're long. They're big, you know, that creates problems on the outside. But they, they were missing Nolan, um, you know, who's their point guard. So that's, that's a tough, you know, it's a big opportunity for the Dragons to go in there against a really high-ranked team and take advantage of maybe them missing somebody. And, and they're in a position to do it. Obviously, fell apart. Nate, just because we've talked enough this year, I know you're going to talk about the Princeton game, right? We're going to talk <laughs> about – we'll talk about uh, uh, Tulane, um. There's another one that got away, right? I feel like um, I watched the end of that game and I, I looked at, my, at the record of 8-8 eight and eight and I said, you know, the voice of Nate Hemerley crept in the back of my head and he said, you know, the record is who you are. And the farther we go into the season, the record is who you are. And at some point, it doesn't matter how talented these guys are. If they're not winning the games, you know, these close games, they got the close win against St. Joe's, but that probably wasn't as close as, you know, it looks in the final score. Um, and they had the, the win at Towson, which we all kind of agree they didn't deserve to win. You know, the, fir- the, f- the first game, uh, those two played at home. Uh, they, they really, these close, you know, the wins by and large, though, what's out of those have been big wins. Uh, crushed Elon. Really, James Madison was more of a crushing than it looked in the final score. Mm-hmm. Northeastern, you know, beat them up. Uh, Cowpen State, closer than it looked, but still, you knew who was going to win that game. You know, these games where they're Charlotte, Charlotte's the same way. These games where they're winning are the games that kind of, you, you, you walked in the court five minutes in, you knew they were going to win. And, and the ones that are, you know, too close to call, they're they're not getting the breaks to go their way. And you create your own breaks, you coach your own breaks. You you know, you don't know if they're just really snake bit. But I don't think we were giving Bruiser Flint a lot of the benefit of the doubt late in his career uh, on these kind of toss-up games that, he you know, he, he just never seemed to come on the right side of. And uh, we're seeing this here. And, and a lot of people are putting the coaching staff. I'll I hesitate there. They won the championship last year. Um, we seem to get more shots than the other team most games, and they seem to be better shots than the opponents are getting. So, hypothetically, that should translate. I get uh, a, on a macro level how that works and the, that this should be working. But obviously, you know, just looking, I didn't see the stretch there where things really got away. I do know when you're up big, what you really need to do is control those first few minutes at halftime. And as soon as Towson came out of the half shooting lights out, you knew you were in trouble. Um, you know, like I said, they went with that uh They went small. They went small. Uric and Coltrane and, and Cam. Um, and I didn't get it. Well, I, they, just, I don't against yeah. that team. I don't understand that matchup.
0: Yeah, and I was literally trying not to talk about the Princeton because you're right. I talk about it all the time because it was such a disappointment. And it, this one was worse because it, it, you know, in that game we could hold the lead, but we just we totally kind of fell apart in the second half. They they pressured us. They they ran a full court press and we started turning the ball over and then, yeah, I mean, they made shots, but, um, but it it was, and you know, you're right. Like I'm not sitting here saying, believe me, I'm not saying, you know, fire. I was a big fire bruiser guy. I'm not doing that to Zach Spiker right now, but I I, personally, I I guess I don't, we don't have a sample size on him yet, you know, because for for me, like this is the first quarter of full season where we're seeing him with division one players and a national roster that I feel like you can actually kind of, assess what he's doing and what i saw yesterday was you know and the way i was thinking about it is, it was almost like and and this uh, for our whole season like the two teams come out shake hands say hey we're gonna run our half court offense you run your half court offense we're not gonna do anything different we're just gonna run our stuff like a, a pickup game we're just gonna go out but with plays and that sort of thing um, but I feel like as soon as, you know, the other team starts to make a little adjustment here or there, we don't have an answer. And, and for me, it was, you know, they came out in the second half and pressed. And then, I mean, they went right at, um, at Thompson. I mean, they made and and they weren't shy about it. And to me, at some point it's like, can we do a double team? Can we press? And and I guess the other thing that bothered me too, and, and Eric will back me up. I don't think Eric, I don't think I really talked to you, much. you were sitting at the end of the row, and I was in a little bit and, um, yeah, you know, I, I guess I, I sat there and I'm like, you know, you just saw them come back and then they took the lead and then they're up 10 and I didn't see any real sense of urgency. Like, wow, not only are they beating us, but they're like pulling away. And that's what I, I got. Erico will back me up. I got kind of pissed and I was just like, like, you know, what are we going to what is it going to hit somebody that we've totally let this game slip away? And that's that's what kind of bothered me yesterday. So, Eric, I don't, I don't know what you thought.
3: I, I'm looking at the ESPN here. There's a flat line here, in like the middle of the second half. I want to say it was a, like at least six minutes. We had six minutes without a. Oh. Yeah, it was
2: six minutes and change. Oh
3: my goodness. Yeah. Because I mean- it,
0: it and somebody is a good term today that I'm going to steal. They call it a hero ball. Like that's that was our offense with Cam Winter. It's like it's going to be one on five with Cam, and either he's going to score or he's not. And it kept us afloat for the first maybe five five minutes, ten you know, first part of the second half, and then. And you know I don't I don't rip Yurich as much as as other people, um, but it was obvious they got whatever matchup and, and whatever matchup they wanted, whether it was holding on him and even Rizzuto. Like you know, the first half they got nothing out of their role players. The second half, you know, Rizzuto was backing him down. They were getting open looks. You could just you, it was just obvious what Towson was doing to attack us, and I had no clue what we were doing. Well,
3: Yurich um, last two games, 23, 24 minutes. You know, I don't want to knock the guy. He is who he is. He deserves to play. He doesn't deserve to play that many minutes. I know you got nine guys you got to play. You can't play everybody all game. can't play 39 minutes. But I, I just don't think you're going to win games. You win many games against a talent if you're playing with Urch for 24 minutes. He had straight so. zeros. So he had nothing. He threw uh, nothing on offense. Had a few turnovers. I'm not saying he was a difference in the game. I thought it was a team effort that they didn't win. But um, I, I just don't get it. I don't get the, I don't get the playing time.
2: I think he deserved to be on the floor against JMU. I think he's been a spark plug for this team at times, defensively, especially. We talk about the lack of toughness at times, and that he can bring that off the bench, and, and, and he really gets after it. I think I've seen him on the floor, even in limited minutes, whether I've seen any other player on the floor in this team this year. You know, I think he's, he's he's a guy who's you know leaves his heart and soul out there, and I I appreciate everything he does as a dragon. I, I agree. I think JMU where you wanted discipline, and and you really wanted just to hang on to the ball and execute. He's a great guy to have on the floor. I think JB is the, the same way at this point a little bit. But I think that, um, yeah, Towson was not the right place for him. They're, they're, they're long. They're challenging. Besides the fact that he, he was not going to be a plus offensively, he was getting beaten defensively, and you've got to be able to read that and understand that and, and 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 pivot a little faster than they did. So that's upsetting. I think, you know, you can call it faith. You can call it ego. Right? But I, I think we see – you know, one of, the t- one of the criticisms of Zach Spiker for five years now has been he's a little late with his timeouts, and I think you see sometimes, right, a team that's up big, you know, that's up 15, and, and the league gets cut to seven, and the coach calls the timeout, and you go, that's a good timeout, right? You know, that, that you kind of – you felt like the flow was going one way, and, and he, he got the timeout, and, you know, I feel like this was – I think the timeout wasn't called until it was a two-point game, and and I felt like it was a little bit late. I mean, it was – Chucks was still leading by two. But it was, it was probably a little bit later than it needed to be. I think the subs during that six-minute stretch, there was, there was very few subs actually, um, which you know is a little bit surprising when you go that long without making a bucket that you wouldn't look through personnel. So I, I think that sometimes you have a plan and you think it's going to work, and you, you so believe that, that you just keep throwing it out there. And, and I think that they are at times, um, speaking as a staff here, a little – they believe in themselves. They believe in their plan. They believe in their players. There's nothing on his face wrong with that. But if you play poker that way, and you believe in your hand, and you keep throwing money on the floor, right? You're not going to be a very good poker player. Um,
0: well, I guess you, know, I, yeah. you got to understand
2: what with the hand you're holding versus the hand they're holding. Yeah. You got to adjust a little faster.
0: I guess. Well, just to say with with Yurich, I'm with you. I mean, I feel like he's been a good spark plug at times this year. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I haven't really killed him much. But I, and I'm not trying to be a uh, analytics guy, but he was minus ten yesterday. So, I mean, yeah. So. Yesterday, yeah, like you said, Towson's more, you know, they're longer athletic. It was a bad matchup for them. Um, so they needed to make an adjustment. But but my bigger concern is, like, I can't figure out what the plan is. And we'll, we'll talk about the women here. I'll make it as brief as I can. But, you know, you feel like I watched a women's game, and I know what we're trying to do. Like, you know, and, and we've, we've got two quick guards. so we, we use our defense to trigger our offense. We get out and transition. We get open jump shots for our guards. We use our offense with our motion. We get layups for our, our bigs underneath. We crash the offensive board. We get 30 buckets. Like I, I know what the women's team is trying to do. I don't know what the men's teams. I mean, that was nice to James Madison. It's like, hey, first half we're we're trying to shoot threes, did that well. In the second half, okay, we're going to pound it inside to Amari, and and that's you know, that's my defense with Spiker. Guys are inconsistent. You know, Amari didn't have the best game. He's going against Thompson. He's going against one of the bigger, better, you know, big 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 men in the league. So. Um, but sometimes we sub, and I'm like, okay, why did we do that? Like, what does this guy coming in give us that the guy that came out, you know, didn't? And um, that's my issue. I'm not, I'm not picking up on sometimes what we're trying to do and, and where the. I don't know if you guys figure out the subs or not, but I struggle with that when we, when we move guys in and out. So,
2: so a couple of things. I think Charles Thompson, uh, yeah, clearly proving he's one of the best big men in the league. He was the difference in that game, no question. Uh, which, as somebody who's been so high on Amari. Really impressed to see somebody, you know, just kind of clearly be a step above him. Now he's a junior; he's a a class above. But really, uh, those two, you know, when they battle out next year, that's 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 a matchup worth tuning in for, just for those two alone, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the word you're looking for is identity, Nate. Yeah, yeah. right. And and you look at William and Mary was an 82 possession game. That's a that's a really high tempo game. You know, your average game in the league this year is probably I don't know, around uh, 67, 68 possessions. So 82 possessions Mm -hmm. is a lot. Um, William and Mary we we ran with them, and obviously part of that was us trying to, was trying to catch up with them because they, they got a decent lead and they forced possessions late, but it's, it's, it, was a, it was a fast up tempo game, you know. James Madison was a 73 possession game, so kind of a little high tempo, but more middle of the road. And then um, Towson was a 59 possession game, so uh, uh, you know, a very slow game. That's a you know that's a, a we haven't seen those since Bruiser was here. So you have three games in a row played in totally different sprint speeds and how much are we dictating the game how much are the opposition opponents dictating the game and i think you really have to be like no we're, we're playing to, to the point that you guys made the other day with spiker saying you know we're taking what they give us you know there's an element of that that's okay but at some point you do want to have an identity you do want to force your will upon the opponent and i think what you're saying nate is that we're not you're not seeing us do, do that and i tend to agree
0: well, I think I, I, we're at our best, and that's why, I mean, we were at, I, I mean, what was it, 34-20 at halftime? So we played a, I, we're at our best, I feel like, when we played a, a half-court game, you know, each team, you know, running their offense on either end, uh, but then as soon as there's an adjustment, in and in, specifically on Saturday of press, it sped us up, you know, we, we ran our off. it happened against Delaware, when, you know, they were hitting shots, and we got behind, and we panicked, and we start rushing our half-court offense, um, so I think that's where we're at our best. Um, and then when we get hit with a punch, it's like, we, we kind of get away from that and, and we don't know what else to do. So, and then within our half court, you know, once you take away certain things, it's like we can't necessarily find something else or decide what we want to attack. So that's my, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not, I don't want to spike her out of here or whatever. And the only thing I'll say is, you know, again, maybe we're gearing up for March. You know, I feel like half court teams tend to do the best in a tournament situation because you, you, theoretically you have teams that aren't going to turn the ball over they're going to defend so you have to score in the half court but um, but you also need to be able to you know if someone presses you you still have to be able to run in the half court you can't just throw the ball away you know and lose your composure so you
2: know that's obviously. it I, they have to figure for me the biggest weakness of this team right now is facing pressure um, they've got to figure that out they have to get the ball handlers on the floor obviously Trey Brown has taken a back seat of late I think, they, ideally, Trey Brown was going to move on to the ball at some point. Cam Winner is going to be the second guy off the ball, so he didn't need Yurik there. Mm-hmm. And clearly, for whatever reason, Trey's not getting the minutes. Uh, it hasn't looked great, so maybe that's the reason. But, yeah. um, you know, you're hurting. That's a that's a big weakness for this team right now. And if they can't figure that out, that's that's going to be the defining weakness of this team. Because that's really why the team is 500 right now. How they, Abilene was pressure. You know, Tulane threw some pressure at us. Towson threw some pressure at us. And... And every time somebody's thrown, I don't know how. I don't know how coaches are pressing us all night. I don't. I don't care what you normally do. I don't know how we're, this team is not getting pressed on. I don't know how. I, for the credit I gave to CA coaches on this call today, I, I have no idea how how this is not getting exploited more. I thought, um, you know, I'm just stunned that 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 hasn't happened yet. You kind of so, wonder why
0: James Madison. I think a lot of our turnovers were kind of self inflicted as opposed to press. I mean, they play. They're quick. I mean, they got in. You know, challenged us and stuff, but. Yeah, no, that's a good way to
2: defend us. That's for sure. So, yeah, um, so we'll see what's happening, but right now they're frustrating eight and eighteen. You know, I think you're you're spot on, Nate. And uh, it should be better than that. The talent's better than that. So we'll see if they can and they can pull it together here. And what's going to be a crazy February schedule? Yeah. Um, and obviously the next games we got a Monday nighter against undefeated in conference UNCW on the road on short rest, back to back games on short rest. You know. Uh, Wilmington is probably going to be like a pick 'em game to Vegas because they still haven't caught up to how good Wilmington's been playing. But Wilmington, to me, is a, is a heavy favorite. and um, But the Dragons have something to prove. Right? They're coming off this loss, and they've, they have not lost – let me look here, but I don't believe they've lost two in a row. There's Princeton and Abilene were the two they lost in a row. But otherwise, they tend to step back off of those losses pretty well. So it's going to be – I think it's a game worth watching. And then after that, you've got going to, to Delaware, and Delaware's got the full rest, and we'll be running short on a fourth straight road game. Tough spot, tough, tough mm-hmm. spot. Now, Dylan Painter was out yesterday against James Madison after he was part of the the slipping injuries at the Towson Arena yeah. on Thursday. Um, somebody the way, really made a Pat Kennedy's jacket reference on one of the message boards somewhere, and I, guess I, I was through, just, yeah. I was so happy that I, mean, I was, I was very proud of our posters when, when that, when that it happened. It took me but, a
0: second, but was, I remember that. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, throw that down and cover it. And uh, but yeah, yeah. so if, if he's out, obviously that's a huge difference maker for Delaware. Uh, they they need him. So yeah. great opportunity there if if, if he is out. But, you know, I said they could lose all four on this road trip. They got the win against AMU. That's huge. If they can win one more, we can't be too pissed off. And and I think for the folks who are talking about Zach Spiker and the coaching staff in general, like, let's remember what they inherited. Let's remember the direction this program is going. I think they're Ken Palm 153 right now, which is almost the high under the Spiker administration. You, you know, you want to see push it, but the, the, the tide is moving in the right direction.
3: Hey, Towson, is, Towson's up to 89 now. We got, a, we got a top 100 team in Ken Palm.
2: Yeah. Yeah, which is great. So. Um, league's getting better and, and, and the team's getting better. League's going to continue to get better, though. They said these coaches are good, so Spudger yeah. needs to keep doing it. But I'm, I'm optimistic still about this team and its future. I just want to see this team produce to its talent level right now,
0: yeah. No, believe me, and that's where I think my disappointment, like, you know, and sitting there at halftime yesterday, wow, we're at 14, what a huge win this will be if we get it, and then you know, again, to, to kind of see them not be shy about how they wanted to defend us and attack us and for us to just take the blows um, so I uh, believe me I'm not selling on this team you know this program I really I I I love the staff they, they're very professional um, they seem like they waved to us they didn't do it on Saturday a couple times they've seen us early I think at Delaware one time we were there really early and he waved to us uh, a little thing you know that he appreciates people I like his Twitter posts supporting the women and you know, and, and vice versa. He's, he seems like he's on involved in the campus. So, um, so no, I, I want Zach Spiker to win a million championships here and not go on to a bigger school, but, um, but, you know, and, and I feel better if you're, if we're going at the coaching staff instead of players or just college kids. So, um, but you know um, we all see what we're capable of and that's what we're kind of, we don't want to see it slip away. So that's really what it comes from.
2: So I don't, I don't so know. I was half joking. Oh, sorry, Eric, go ahead.
0: I don't
3: see UNCW taking it to us, and they're not quite the same kind of styles of towels. So I'd say, you know, I think if one team lights it lights it up from three tomorrow night, they're going to win the game. Uh, Trask is a very tough place for Drexel, uh, but what I'm really surprised here, you won't believe this—they'll predict the line for the, for tomorrow is uh, UNCW by one and a half. That's it. Uh, yeah, that's
2: that's about where I thought. That's actually probably a little ge- more generous with the dub than I thought they would get. But I I, I feel like that's probably right. Yeah,
3: and that's with you know, with a little rest, you know a little, a little bit of road weariness, uh, kind of surprised, but you know we'll see. That's why they play the games.
2: Yeah, I, I was joking earlier on about you know we only want to talk about losses. Um, no, sports radio wants to talk about losses. It's it's a, it's it's the Facebook algorithm effect. It's it's the whole thing. It it pisses me off. I want to be very clear. The fact that people only want to talk about losses pisses me off. <laughs> But I get if you fly, if you call into IP after a flyer's lost, everybody you know wants to talk about Jeru or something. And if you call in after a win, they want to talk about the Eagles. Yes. <laughs> um, right. So so I, I do get the mentality. I just it, it, it's a it's a flaw in humanity right now, is my opinion. I want to talk about the wins, too, here. I think they're important. Um, I'm glad we got to cover the JMU game. But more importantly, that we get to cover a very ho-hum, another road sweep by the women.
0: Yeah, and Eric was the first person to tell me that the Flyers won on Saturday, so appreciate you letting know that the win streak ended. But, hey, um, but yeah, you, you you're talk about the women?
3: I made the right call in that game, by the way. I said, you know, they're, they're up 3-2. Uh, five minutes left. there's plenty of time for the Kings to come back and tie this game. It's really enough with 30 seconds left. They get, a, they get a goal. The Flyers miracle the way into overtime.
0: Well, and you're right. I, I, Philadelphia in me was saying, man, I hope they're more entertaining if they keep losing. So, like um, – but, but now I'm glad they won. And my son's – Evan's probably out there watching the Phantoms right now. He watches every game unless it's over. I'll find out if they won in a minute. But, um, but anyway. But, yeah, let's talk about the women. Um, so, uh, I'll try to be uh, – I want to be brief, but give them the time they deserve for sure. So, and this – you know, this sets up, too. And I guess that's what put me in the mood I was in on uh, Saturday, you know, watching, you know, Towson come out in the second half and just totally take it to us because that's what – our women's team did to Elon. So um, we were in pretty bad shape at halftime. Um, let me see. So if, if I get, I put down somewhere the score now, I can't remember. Um, but if I have, if I right, it looks like Elon was up by as many as 10 in the first half. They were red hot to start shooting. They were five of seven from three in the first quarter. Um, but then they were only one of 14 the rest of the game. Um, but it, you know, it, and some of our numbers too. For the first half, we were we only shot um, we were only eight of twenty one in the first half. But then we were eighteen of twenty nine for sixty two percent in the second half. Um, we had ten turnovers in the first half. We had three in the second half. And it always it was all a lot of the difference was we pressed. We came out in the second half behind, and we came after them, forced turnovers. Nihil was all over the place doing what she does. Um, she was, she was probably our best player. Um, she had 19 of her 21 points in the second half and a lot of had to do with her, you know, forcing turnovers and things, but, um, had a big game. Um, you know, she had 20 points. So, um, and then we ended up leading in the second half by as many as 13 and outscored Elon 45, 25 in the second half. So, you know, we ended up taking a deficit and end up just about running away. Uh, with the game, so like I said, I was in a mindset of watching a game where a coach makes adjustments and flies out and takes a game, uh, takes a game over, and then go there Saturday and watch us let a team take it from us. Uh, was it was the opposite, so um, but yeah, I don't know if you guys had any thoughts on the game Friday night at Elon.
2: Nothing specific, other than you know, nice win. I mean, Elon continues to be a really good program and one that's given this team fits uh, over the years. So to go down to the shower, and, and you're right to respond like that, that's a lot harder to. I mean, we talk about Towson doing it, but it's a lot harder to do on the road. Mm-hmm. It's Going to halftime down and, and come come out strong and really wipe wipe a smile off their faces. And once again, you know they just they seem to have an answer for everything. Yeah, when we talk about the men, maybe maybe we get unlucky at times. Maybe Bob answers, you know, creating your own luck. Whatever the case, the, these women create their own luck. There's just mm-hmm. no question.
0: Yeah, no, and, and another thing, yeah, you know, and again, you you talk about the coaching staff and the women's program. This has always been true, but yeah, I remember when Marshall was on. We talked about Tess Brugler and free throw shooting. I think she was like below seventy percent, and I haven't got back. I will do this at some point, but she was six of six from the line in a game. Um, so you know, she was, and I I don't I think she made some big free throws today too. So it was one of those that's how you know you have a good coaching staff. You see a player, you see a weakness and then you see him as the season goes on, they improve it and it makes her such a better, a, a much better post player. Cause then she's not worried about getting to the free throw line. So, um, so anyway, that, that's been neat to see. Um, but, um, but yeah, so nice win Friday night. And then uh, this afternoon, a, uh, yeah, you know, the other thing to say too. And I, I, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, I, you know, I, I can't really say any more about this team to get people to watch them. I mean, if 13 straight wins and, you know, first place in the CAA and, and what, 16 and two overall. Um, these are really exciting games, um, which in, on one hand, you're like, you know, I, I, I always have that theory. Would it be good for them to lose a game? You know, do you learn more from a loss? But um, but I'm just trying to enjoy the games because they've been really they've been terrific games. So today we win uh 75 67 in two overtimes um and the way I, we we did everything we could possibly do to lose the game so we had, we had 20 turnovers as a team uh Nihil of washington could buy for 10 so um and nyhill in particular didn't really have her best game today um Tess only had two points she got in foul trouble so she only played 12 minutes uh Mariah Leonard, uh, it was a pretty I thought uh I, I haven't learned this whole uh, flagrant one and two thing. I need to at some point. Uh she got hammered and they didn't even look at it. Um, but she ended up going out with an injury. She ended up coming back. Um so the bottom line is we were out Leonard, Bruller was on the bench in foul trouble, Nile and Washington are playing well and still found a way to win is really what it comes down to. So um a lot of that being Key Shot on Washington, who um she fin and we'll talk i think we'll close this on a conversation her related to cam thought i have um but she ended up scoring 13 points and finally got to, to double overtime she's like all right that's it we're finishing this and she scored 13 points um four or four from the field four or five from the line um and then i'm um, finished with a career high 40 points so um we just and i think again you talk about toughness and winning on the road um, you know, one thing we did well was second chance points. We outscored them 15 to seven and out rebounded them 44 to 32. So, um, we just, just gutted this one out, did everything we could to lose and found a way. So it was a great ball game and, and a lot of fun to watch. So, um, yeah, the women, we,
3: women scored, uh, 15 points in the second overtime, which was more points than they scored any of the four quarters. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those were foul shots.
0: Yeah, not too many of them. I mean, it like, I think she, um, Kishana, like she had a three and then we hit her on a drive and it was, yeah, she just took the game over. So, um, so yeah, yeah, Now it was, it was nice to see how she ended that. but, um, they did. Um, and the reason why and I alluded on it quick, and maybe this is something to finish on, you know, we talk about cam and great player. We all like watching him. Um, you yeah, know, but I compare that to Kishana today. You know, Again, she kind of drew a line in the sand and said, Hey, we're going to win this game. This game's over right now. Um, I, and in Cam's defense, he hasn't really been in too many of those situations in his career. Um, but I, I'd like to see that kind of game of him, you know, and not where he's asked to go one on five. But, you know, again, we do a good job of getting him open looks and getting him in good situations and see him just put a game away for us. I think it's going to help down the stretch. So
2: I, I do think the one the one piece of flaw that comes to me is, is that Kishana has Hannah. Right and defenses, there's no guard, right? They they have to the split between those two heavy guards, and I don't know if there's a second guard at Drexel right now. We've seen flashes from Xavier, you know, we, we've seen some other some other guys step up at times, but nobody's you know an all league player next to uh, next to Cam like like you know a first team all league player in the guard position next to Cam like Keshawn has next to her. Um, so so I'll give Cam, you know, it's just easier to key on him, I think, in my opinion. But they're both excellent players, and and, and what Keshawn has done has been impressive. You know, I told you guys going into this You know, on the last podcast, Elon was telling, but then William & Mary was just trap city uh, coming out of that game, back half of a weekend, tough place to play, and, um, you know, could they overcome it? And that's a really impressive 2-0 road trip. I, I was joking about the whole hump. I mean, it's, it's just a really impressive 2-0. You come home now, you catch two teams, you know, in, in Wilmington and Charleston that you should beat at home, and, and you can, you know, reload a little bit. Um, you know, should be. There's always the devil, right? But they're at home, and, and we'll see how they do. Um, I, I do want to note; it's important. Um, they they ran the table in December, and with this game at William Mary, they've run the table in January. They didn't lose a game in January. Hmm. Um, that's that's two calendar months without losing a game. It's unheard of. It's unheard of, and that's what I'm going to wallpaper the internet with this week when we talk about the women's program because that. Needs to be shattered from the rooftops. The Drexel official the account needs to shout How many times has, this, has that happened in recent memory that the team isn't you know a top five team in the country in women's basketball or men's basketball? Mm-hmm. You, you don't see December and January undefeated anywhere. I don't care what your schedule was. It's incredibly impressive the level they're playing at right now. And you know games like today or scare you, but my goodness, my goodness, by hook or by Cook they seem to find a way every time, and it's really just it's an impressive display they're going to host the conference tournament i mean everything just lined up for them right now if they can stay healthy so you, you just have to give your hat off to that whole organization from from the managers to the to the players and the coaches i mean everybody's just doing their share clearly and um, really another impressive road trip and, and a really impressive month
0: yeah i have to say when you uh when you were talking about the William and Mary, I, I was just over, over confidence last week. I'm like, come on. Yeah. I thought, I thought they went easy today. Um, so, I, you know, I, I guess, um, you know, I, I don't want to say I was surprised um, that it was a tough, I, I guess I just like to see them just totally flatten some money. Cause I think they're capable of that. Um, but I think it's a good reality check for everybody not to get too high. And I think that's where the leadership of the team is going to come in. I don't think they're going to get too carried away. So They'll keep improving. That's why I said it would have lost help them so they could go back to the drawing board and get better. But they, I'm sure they have the mentality, win or lose. They're just trying to get better. So, um, But I will say, to your other point last week, you said the, the schedule's been easy. Um, I will say it will get harder now. I mean, you look at it. I mean, they go to Northeastern. I, I think that's going to be a hard game. And then they're, they're at Delaware. They're at Towson. So they're tougher games at JMU, although they've been kind of weak. They're tougher games. You could argue are ahead of them. But again, yeah, to keep putting out the wins night after night is, yeah, it's fun a lot. So, um, yeah, not much else to say about
2: him, I guess. So come home next week, flatten somebody. I agree with you. This is your opportunity. Go flatten one of these two teams. Make us feel good. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, and then, yeah, you've got you got a tough that uh, that northeastern game is a Sunday, so again, second half of a road swing. That's always tough. Mm-hmm. At Delaware is going to be tough. Um, you can't overlook Kostra, although that's a pretty easy game to overlook. <laughs> to start to kick off that trip. So,
3: yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's if again get through back through there. Check with me, but at that point we're being mid February. At that point, you're a couple weeks away from the tournament. Like, Mm -hmm. if if that's when you're worried about losing a game, I mean, my goodness, my goodness, it's just incredible. Yeah, so
0: it's fun to watch. So uh, you know, anyway. But all right, anything else you guys wanted to talk about? Bring up
2: no. There's there's no reason for for me to sneak this in here, but I meant to sneak this in earlier, so I'm going to do it anyway. Coltrane Washington gets hit on a back door in the Towson game. Which is the first time I think I saw them run the back door in about forever, and I just thought it was awesome. And he also uh, went went to the basket, drove to the basket, beat his man, the help never came, and put it up. And we're seeing him develop a little bit, and and now it's becoming an interesting uh, piece. I, he's really growing, and uh, I'm excited to see him embracing the opportunity he's getting.
0: Here I have him 14 points against James Madison, and then five of five of seven. And yeah, it wasn't all three. So no, yeah, those are the things. Yeah. We talked about the women's team. You see players get better. I'm with you. And he went to what I'll be honest. When I heard he went to some Penn state scatillate school. I was like, what? Um, so yeah, these are the kind of guys you like to see getting better. So but yeah. All right. We've got nothing else. Um, so thank you for joining us and then we'll probably see you at the same time next week.
2: Thanks everybody. All right.